I'm Brody Vincent and you're watching Profession Session. On today is Mitchell Chamali, one of the founders of Combat Night MMA, Florida's hottest fight promotion. He's here to talk about how it all started. We decided after watching another local show, oh man, you know, we can do that. Like, what, what do we gotta do to do this? We started writing down ideas for like, who would fight, who would sponsor, where would we have the show? And get deep, deep into the psyche of having professional success in one of the most jarring industries that are out there. You have to be selfish. If you're not gonna be selfish as a fighter, if you're not going to do everything in your power to be the best in the world and what you think is the right thing to do, there's a good chance you're not gonna be successful. From the perspective of someone who's seen many people go to the UFC and have professional success amongst the most competitive thing out there. I can provide a lot of helpful insight and I can help others get to the, where they want to be. And to hurt some feelings along the way. I'm going to probably piss someone off, but I think they're doing themselves a disservice and they're doing their child a disservice. Stay around for one of our deepest dives yet into some controversial but important things to consider if you want to achieve big things in life. I just was always asking myself, like, how am I going to make it in this world? I knew from a young age that I was not built for the, the nine to five grind. And everyone around me had these real jobs. Even whenever I started the combat night stuff, people thought I was silly. To this day, people will still ask me, oh, who's your boss? Bitch. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Profession Session. I'm Brody Vinson, and I'm on a mission not only to define professional greatness through the tactics and qualities behind it, but also to help anyone that's trying to achieve professional greatness do it through the lens of others that have achieved it before them. I couldn't be more thankful for everyone that helps me continue along this mission through being able to do this podcast. And if you've ever gotten any value out of it, I ask only two things in return. If you could share it in the same way that you found it with someone else that you think could get value it helps me so much and if you could also just hit the subscribe button if you haven't yet it helps me so much in just securing better and better guests for the show to share more impactful knowledge with you in this pursuit that we're both on for professional greatness so without further ado let's get on to this week's episode i think i think for me and a lot of people that fight fighting probably started at home with a big brother um but in the in the professional sense i um Went to college and took a judo class. And from the judo class, I met a kid who did jujitsu. Um, I wrestled in high school, so I wanted to do something competitive in college. And then the judo kid took me to jujitsu. And then at jujitsu, they took me to an MMA gym. And I wasn't there for long. And they asked me if I wanted to fight to get paid. And I was like, I, you'll, you'll pay me to fight? And I was like, you'll give me money for that? And I took my first fight uh, like two or three months later. I won. And then I took another fight a couple months later. I won again. And then Bellator called me and wanted me to fight for them. And I was like, oh, man, I was like, I have a chance to be a professional. Yeah. And they were like, nah, man, you're a professional. Uh, you've been getting paid to fight. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I've been fighting in, like, you know, podunk, nothing. I'm a professional? And they're like, yeah, you're a professional athlete. And I was like, oh, all right. Like, cool, I'm a professional athlete. And um, took fighting Bellator, I took my first loss. And then I started, uh, I went out to Greg Jackson's camp. I stayed with Cowboy for a while and um, wanted to find out if like fighting was really for me or not. I was in school at the time. Um, I was getting ready to go to law school. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I, I wanted to like, you know, I just graduated high, uh, college. In college, I was doing a lot of stuff. I, at my, you know, my senior year when I took those two fights, uh, I was also a cheerleader for FSU. 
I was also taking like 16 credit hours just to finish up my, my schooling. So I was like, let me give this, you know, I went two and one with a whole bunch of stuff on my plate. Let me take everything off my plate and give it a fair run. And then um, in that time period where I was doing that, you know, I realized it's hard to have a job. I was working 40 hours a week and uh, train full time to be a, a good athlete and really focus on it. So uh, me and my business partner at the time, Josh Saman, um, we decided after watching a Rise of a Warrior event, another local show, we were like, oh man, you know, we can do that. Like, let, what, what do we gotta do to do this? And it was the first show we had really went to that was like super nice and professional and they did everything right. And on the way home, I need to start bringing it with me. There was like a, a ripped envelope from him checking his mail in his car and we picked it up. We started writing down ideas for like who would fight, who would sponsor, where would we have the show? You still and, have that envelope? Yeah, I wow. do. He actually gave it to me as a Christmas gift like four years later. That's awesome. So four years later, it was framed, and he handed it to me, and I like opened it, and I was like, oh, shit. Like, this Damn. is the paper that we wrote on. You know, it's all, it's all my handwriting. So I would guess after I got done writing, I probably just left it in the car, and he yeah. found it. For whatever reason, he kept it. Wow. Um, That's cool to have. Yeah, it was, it was cool. You know, and like it was very um, – we had no idea what we were doing, and – Thankfully, we had some mentors like Sherry Carpenter, Lance Maxwell, that were really um, guiding us and helping us. You know, you got to open a business account. You got to get an LLC because um, we were so wet behind the ears. We were just, you know, finishing up college, had no clue about business. We were we were fighters, and um, so when we went to that endeavor, this is right at 11 years now in January, 11 years ago. Um, it wasn't to like it wasn't to like revolutionize or to be the next big thing. It was really just to make money so we could fight full time. It was like, we can make a couple thousand dollars and make it last through our camps. Like, we'll be good. And thankfully, we had so many people supporting us in Tallahassee. We did make money on our first show. You know, we made money on the first couple shows. Um, and we we were finding out how to, like, save money, too. You know, like, okay, we, we spent way too much money. We're spending, like, you know, a good example, $2 on a poster. Okay, now we get them for 50 cent. It's like, you know, finding out little, little things here and there, saving $100 there, saving $100 here. And then after a few years... Um, Josh had went on to be in the UFC. Um, he was an ultimate fighter. And I had a couple more pro fights. I was still fighting professionally. But after about, I would say, the three-year mark is where we started traveling to multiple cities, Orlando, Jacksonville, uh, Miami. And that's whenever we realized, like, oh, we, we've got something here. Like, we can do this, you know, 12, 16 times a year and make a really good living for our families and train full times and still be fighters. Um, but then I like this. The six or seven year mark, um, it was actually like, it's crazy to think about how long ago it was. It's more around like the five year mark. Um, my business partner passed away, Josh. Oh, man. So once he passed away, uh, I had to do a lot of soul searching for myself and kind of decide like, do I want to keep doing this? You know, is this something that I am I'm truly, I knew I was passionate about fighting and I knew I was passionate about um, business. I enjoyed business. I enjoy hustling. I've, I've been doing it since I was like 14. I used to buy and sell cars when I was a young kid before I could even drive. I would buy a car that was messed up or whatever, and then I would fix it and I would sell it. So even before- I wanna zoom out for a second because we went like all the way kind of to almost current <laughs> day, back, yeah. but I heard in there just a, an incredibly driven dude since the very beginning, since 14 even you said, where yeah. do you think all that comes from? Where did that come from for you? That's definitely my dad my and my mom. You know, um, they both, my dad was a farmer. So he had me up when I was 10 years old, I was waking up you know, most kids are waking up on Saturday morning to watch cartoons mm -hmm. and go play football or do whatever. On Saturday morning at 5 a.m., I was waking up and I was going to the fields and I was picking fruit. 
um, at the time of something I was completely ashamed of. Like, uh, you know, all my friends were talking about how, you know, they're spending their weekends and like, you know, I didn't even mention that my first seven hours of a Saturday was spent in a field picking watermelon. You know, I got done by noon, one o'clock, um, and I got to play and do whatever I wanted after that. But, you know, my dad was an incredible, hard, incredibly hard worker. My mom worked two or three jobs. Um, we were poor as shit growing up. We lived in a double wide trailer. You know, looking back and thinking about how hard my mom worked and how hard my dad worked, it's almost like sad to think how poor we were. Like, how were we that poor? And it's really because of the decisions they made. I won't go into that. But, um, you know, they could have worked half as hard and just made better financial decisions and we wouldn't have struggled as much. But not a lot of people understand that. Not a lot of people know that. So um, whenever growing up, my dad working with my dad in the fields, it was just, it was backbreaking work, man. Like it was hard, especially for a 10 year old. And I did that all the way up until I was probably 16 or 17. Um, so that taught me hard work. That taught me how to um, like the real hard work, like with my hands. And then um, that also taught me that's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a smart kid. Um, I was charismatic. I knew how to talk and all that good stuff. So I still work hard, but it's just in a different way. But definitely my dad and my mom watching them work and watching them grind um, as I was coming up is a big reason why. I know it's the reason why I'm a hard worker. So did you, from a very early age, do you think, see that there was a way to kind of leverage this hard, this work ethic to just make more money? Did you kind of have that feeling that there was just a better way to do it? Yeah, I knew there was a better way. Um, you know, I but I didn't I didn't know that until I got a little older. You know, kids didn't really come stay the night at my house. Again, I was a little embarrassed. I lived in a I lived in a trailer park, a double wide. Um, nothing I'm embarrassed of now or ashamed of now. But when I was younger, I was. I remember the first time I stayed the night at a kid's house, and they lived in a two story house. And I was like, what the fuck? Whoa, this is a mansion. This is crazy. And um, his parents were there and present the entire time I was there, you know, throughout the whole, the whole. I think I was there for like all day Friday, all day Saturday. I got off from school and went there and then stayed the night and I was like, man, well, if they can do it, why can't someone else do it? Like, why can't my parents do this? Mm -hmm. Like, what's happening, you know? Um, and then I've always been like, I always take notes, you know, constantly in my head about things that are happening. And um, I just knew something, like, I never learned anything about finances or anything from my family. Um, I didn't understand money growing up. I just knew I wanted a lot of it. Like I knew my dad always had a lot of my dad always had a lot of cash on him, and I was like, all right, money's like. So my goal was always like, how how can I make the most money possible, um, with the least amount of work, and if, so that way if I work really hard and I can only work for five minutes on this and make five dollars, and then five minutes on this and make five dollars, and I can just keep working hard. But each little you know goal that I set for myself to make money isn't hard to get there. Then I make a lot of money, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I've always kept with is just um, make the most amount of money with the least amount of work but I'm gonna bust my ass. So if I work really hard, but it doesn't take a lot of work to make these little you know, monies here and there, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be set. So that's really kind of the mindset I've had um, yeah, since I was little. I mean, that's why I was flipping cars. That's why I was, I mean, bro, there wasn't, like, <laughs> I was in college, you know, the end of the year, like everyone throws out all their couches and beds and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, you're cleaning out. Um, I worked for a, a, an apartment complex and we, I would go and clean out a room and there'd be, a couch in there and there'd be this and that Psh, Craigslist couch for sale da, 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 da. I'll come back wow. to this apartment in a day or two and I'd put a price that there, no way no one's gonna say no someone's mm -hmm. gonna wanna buy this couch for 50 bucks yeah. or 100 bucks so I was like hey meet me at the apartment cool carry it out <laughs> with them so like I'm doing my job for the complex yeah. and I'm making 100 bucks because I sold the couch that was just sitting in, in there anyways so I always like just finding ways to hustle and then um, like I said least amount of work some money 
I hear stuff like that and immediately think like that's an entrepreneurial quality. Did you recognize that at the time? Because it sounded like you were on track to go do law school from the start or from some point, which is, you know, very set kind of routine practice. Like there's a, and many times there's a set structure to that. So did you recognize that you had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit back then? I didn't know that's what it was. Um, if I'm being honest, I had no idea. I knew from a young age that I was not built for the, the nine to five grind. I knew from a young age that um, <laughs> I didn't like working for other people. Um, I knew from a young age, you know, all these things that like make an entrepreneur, but they also make really, really uh, shitty members of society. You know, I yeah. know plenty of people that have these same traits, don't like working for other people. You know, don't like taking, um, you know, having a boss, like all these kind of things. And then they just don't do anything with their life. So, um, no, I had no idea it was an entrepreneurial mindset. At the time, I just was always asking myself, like, how am I going to make it in this world? Like, mm -hmm. because all I ever saw were the cookie cutter jobs. All I ever, my mom and my dad, like, I, even though my dad was an entrepreneur, he struggled. Like, you know, it was a lot of work. It was hard work. And then my mom had multiple jobs. And everyone around me had, had like, these real jobs. Um, even whenever I started the combat night stuff, um, people thought I was silly. Like to this day, people will still ask me like, oh, who's your boss? It's like, bitch, I've been doing this for 11 years. Yeah. And you know me the, all those 11 years. Have you mm -hmm. ever like, what, what, like, come on my guy. You know yeah. what I mean? So, um, yeah, at the time though, I had no idea. I didn't know what these, I thought it was a bad, I was the black sheep in my family as well. Um, so at the time I just thought I was. I thought I was lazy, to be honest with you. I was like, yeah, this is, even though I was I was such a hustler and I was always looking for a way to make money or a way to improve, you know, my situation. Um, yeah, the, the mindset of like, work as little as possible or make as much as possible. Um, even though I was working hard and I would do 20 things really, really hard, but each one was like a little bit of work, a little bit of work that would, in, it would equal some money. I didn't realize at the time that it was an, the entrepreneurial mindset. I, I didn't even know what that word was until I was yeah. probably in my, you know, early 20s. It's funny because I think most of the best entrepreneurs are inherently almost unemployable. Like they just can't have a job. Yeah. I I remember the example I give whenever I'm talking about this, like one time when I realized I had it is I had this job in college at Academy Sports where we would go at 3 a.m. and we were just unloading like all of the the inventory for the day. We would unload the trucks and then pull put everything on pallet jacks and take it out and stock it up from like 3 a.m. to 12 p.m. And I had figured out that it's kind of similar to what you were saying, like just doing the, the most amount of work with the least effort possible kind of thing. I had figured out that you could unload it and then you could kind of skate on the pallet jacks, like just use it like a skateboard. Yeah. And so I was just ripping it around the corners. No one in the store at this point, it's not even open. I'm yeah. like ripping it around the corners and I had never run into anything or anything. But then my manager was like, you can't do that. And I was like, I'm getting, I'm getting like twice the amount of stuff out here doing this and I'm not like hurting anything. I, yeah. I just, it didn't compute. And I was like, I kind of recognized in that moment, like, I, I don't think I can take orders from someone. Like yeah. it just like doesn't compute. It's not even, it's not even that you can't take orders from somebody. It's that I can't take orders from somebody that's not thinking on my level. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. and I don't, I don't, I'm not like the greatest mind ever. By, by mm. no means do I think that. But if I have a way that's working that's better than the way you've shown me, mm -hmm. then and I'm not hurting anyone, nothing's wrong. Like I haven't damaged anything, or you know, like in your instance, it's like, why can't I keep doing this? Yo, yeah. If I, if I fuck up, fire me. Mm -hmm. Cool, run it. But I couldn't accept the answer at the time. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I, this is working so well. Like, yeah. I just didn't get it. So 
What do you think told you? I mean, obviously you said you made money pretty much right away at the first event. Aside from that, what were the things that were telling you and your partner at the time that this thing was working, that there was something to this enough to say, Hey, like we're going to do this rather than having like any other job. You know, uh, we had a lot of, um, over the years we built our name in the sport through fighting and we had a lot of friends in the sport. So, um, finding fighters and getting people involved wasn't really hard. I think, you know, having guys like Dean Thomas, having guys like Cole Miller, um, Bubby Mitchell, you know, these are all OGs in the game. Dan Donaldson, Richard Cox, like all of these guys saying like, man, you got something, this is something special, man. Like, oh, this is cool, this is different. Um, was kind of the fuel to get us to keep going and, and going bigger and better. Um, you know, we, we always, the mindset we had was, we fought on Bellator, UFC, we fought for all the major promotions and, and all the podunk ones too. We fought for RFC in Tampa, we fought for, you know, fight night at the tabernacle in georgia and all these like offshoot promotions and it was like we just wanted to take everything that we liked and do more of that and everything we didn't like you know we didn't like the fact that i would show up to an event i would fight for 300 bucks and i would ask for an event shirt afterwards and they'd be like oh the table's over there i'm like damn bro i just fought you i mean literally i spent 200 dollars on medicals i spent 100 dollars in gas to get here and get back and you can't give me a 20 dollars shirt that you paid seven bucks for yeah. So like little things like that, um, not having footage of our fights, you know, we made sure everyone had footage of their fights. It's just, it's just all the little small things that we did that I think everyone noticed. And then we started realizing like, whoa, like the fighters are really, really like um, they're, they're, they're with us on this. They feel the difference. So as we started seeing that happening um, and we were finding more ways to save money and more ways to make money, it just one thing led to another and we realized like we have something special here. Um, but like, you know, it really, unfortunately, um, it, the I realized that once my business partner passed away, because when I was doing all that reflection and I was thinking about like, do I even want to do this anymore? Like, you know, my head was all over the place. Um, I really, really, really realized that we have something special here and I didn't want to lose it. Um, so, you know, the first year was really hard without him, but you know, that's when I realized like when I lost him and the outpour of love we were receiving and the conversations I had with, you know, multiple mentors of mine, and friends about you know where my head was at what i was thinking it was like it was very consistent everyone was like yo do you, do you know what you got here mm -hmm. do you realize what you're doing for the fight community do you realize and like people were just i mean it wasn't even like you know you can tell when someone's like oh man come on keep doing it you know it's like these were real thoughtful and passionate remarks about the company we built and so that's really the moment and it sucks because he never got to see like what we've become now you know this is this is like I'm not even lying. It's like a dream. It's like a dream come true what we're doing right now in the fight game. So it sucks that he never saw that because it's all things that we talked about. You know, we talked about doing professional fights one day. We talked about helping these guys get to the next level and getting more involved with the fight camps and helping, you know, being mentors of these athletes and showing them the way that, we, you know, because we never had anyone do that for us. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's unfortunate, the timing of it, but it's definitely at his passing was when we really realized how special what we had was. So timeline-wise, again, how long ago was that? So, man, it feels like – it still feels like yesterday. Um, it was October 5th, 2016. Um, so it's been, it's been a minute. And I, I was talking about – it's like he, we've had more events and we've been around longer now since his – like we've done more since his passing than we did before. Wow. Um, but, you know, all the groundwork was laid with him. You know, all the cities we went to happened with him. Um, he was always like – he was the big dreamer. So he was this guy that was like 
we're going to bring in cranes and we're going to shoot rockets off from over here and where the motorcycle's going to come out of this entrance. It's going to do a flip over there. You're going to figure out how to do it, Mitchell. <laughs> I'd be like, all right. You know, yeah. I'd be like cussing them, cussing them and be like, there's no fucking way we're going to do that. Like, yeah. how is that? This, this isn't impossible. And, um, but he was the big dreamer, you know, he had the big ideas and, um, I was always the executor. I was always the guy that like figured out these things. Um, so it's, it was a big change whenever he did leave, but man, it's like, it's just, it's, it's kind of been a, a big growth period for me too, though. Cause now yeah. I had to be the dreamer right. and I had to be the, the one that make it happen. You know, I couldn't just think of these big ideas and without the big ideas, there's nothing cool to make happen. So for us to continue to grow and continue to do big things, I had to kind of become that dreamer. And of course the rest of the team too, like we always have these uh, powwows where we talk and figure out what we're gonna do next, what might work, what might not work. Um, so yeah. I wanna talk about that shift a little bit and you got into it a little bit there, but the shift, cause I was gonna ask you before you told me what the roles looked like at the time and how you had to adjust because I'm sure that must've been really hard. And it sounds like that's a, a really big set of shoes to fill. How did you teach yourself to dream big? That's a, a kind of a crazy question, right? Yeah. But how did you how did you teach yourself to start dreaming big and fill that role? So it was actually a really big pair of shoes to to to, to fill. Josh was like a size fourteen. He was a massive, <laughs> massive human being, and he dreamed just as big as his feet were. I was, actually that was one of his nicknames was Old Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> but you know, at first it was extremely hard. Um, man, like everything was already set in place as far as going to these different cities and stuff, but you're going to always lose venues, have to find new venues and um, have to find new ways to like incentivize people and like, you know, dream that dream big. For me, it was a long process, man. I feel like, and it was, it was crazy because he had been to my house for probably two weeks before he passed, maybe even a week, maybe it was like the week before he passed. I had just had my son uh, who's about to be seven and uh, he was coming to visit, hang out. We hung out for like, you know, four or five days, just he was at the crib chilling and what we talked about the whole time he was there was like it's time to do pro shows we had already done about 50 i think 60 shows at the time um we had done the tallahassee civic center put 5,000 people in there multiple wow. times and it was like all right let's do something we gotta do something bigger that's always like you know gotta do bigger gotta do bigger gotta do more and we talked about like okay the goal is pro show next year we're doing a pro show next year um why that is so big is because amateur shows cost about one-fifth of a pro show. Okay. But amateur shows are great, but if there's no pro show for the amateurs to fight on once they get done with their amateur career, now they're left to go fight in Georgia, Alabama, Texas, wherever. For They're the out-of-town person, and just being honest, very rarely do you get a call to go fight in Texas, and they're trying to put you in a winning situation. Mm. They're probably putting you in a losing situation. They don't know you. Yeah, You're fighting a local hometown guy. Um, so I I felt like, and he felt like too, we were doing our athletes a disservice, you know? We would By build sending them, them out to a losing situation. Yeah, because we didn't have the pro, the pro fights. So um, that was a big goal of ours coming into the new year. So when he passed, you know, it probably, um, I'd say a solid month of like, just where do we go from here? What do we do? Um, I would try to sit down and work on combat night stuff and everything, picture of him, video of him, just every, kept, kept popping up. And then um, after about a month of that, I talked to the team and I was like, yo, we're doing, we're coming out the gates next year with a pro show. Like that was the goal. The goal yeah. was a pro show. So the goal is still the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. And there's no better way to like memorialize Josh and show him love and then to do an event 
about exactly what we talked about, which was a pro event. Um, so we did. We, we came back the, the very next year. And that was my, I guess that was kind of like my big moment of like, I guess, dreaming big, you know, like, okay, cool. This is like a new, a whole new endeavor. Like a pro show is nothing like an amateur show. Pro shows, I could, I could do an amateur show in my sleep. Like I could literally, I could do the whole thing. No offense to my team. And I think people on my team too could do this. They could do the whole show by themselves. Yeah. They could staff it. They could, you know, do everything. Wouldn't need me there. And I wouldn't need them there because that's how easy amateur shows are now for us. We've done 160 shows. And with every show, even the pro shows, there's always an amateur show attached. So we've done 160 amateur shows. Easy these days. Um, so the dream big was we're doing a pro show now. And we don't have for the Josh. first time ever. Yeah, and Josh isn't here. And it's the, yeah. it's like the it's like the very the first show we plan is this show. It's like okay, we're doing this pro show in Tallahassee, you know where Josh was from, where I went to school at, and um, man, we fuck, we crushed it. We didn't make money. We made like a little bit of money, but we crushed it. And proved that, the concept. Yes, we uh, proved we could do it and not lose money. And mm -hmm. that's what you know. Everyone that was telling us like, don't do pro shows. Like everyone that was in the business was like, oh man, just stick with your amateur shows. Y'all are crushing it. Yeah. Like, and we were. We were making good money. There was no reason to risk doing a pro show. But again, we felt bad that we were giving the amateurs great experience, but we weren't setting them up for success to make it to the UFC, to make it to Bellator where we had made it. And we wanted to see these guys make it to the next level and make a career out of it. You know. Um, you see a lot of promotions that will, like, give guys just easy fights. Like, they just give them easy fights because maybe they're a ticket seller. And it's like they don't want the ticket seller to lose. They want him to keep winning. And um, that was kind of the same time period where we were figuring out, I'd say probably a year before Josh passed, that, like, we can't do that. If we want these guys to be successful on the pro level, they need to fight hard fights now. Mm -hmm. Like, when it doesn't matter, you know? It's like your middle school GPA. Who gives a fuck? Like, it's mm -hmm. your middle school GPA. It's going to restart in high school. And their high school GPA matters to get to college, just like their pro record matters to get to the UFC. Yeah. Um, so that's when we started really changing things. Was that like a year before he passed? But then once he passed, that was a dream big moment. It was like time to have a pro show. And um, once we did one, it was like, all right, now it's just, I almost felt like we started over in business. It was like, all right, now we got to figure out how to save money. Now yeah. we got to figure out how to sell more tickets or how to do this or how to do that. And now I think we've had, I would say, close to 30. And we crush them. I mean, That's awesome. just, just no, nothing to me. Nothing comes close. You know, I had a friend. Um, actually, actually, he's a he's a coach over at Fusion Excel. His name's Edwin Carmichael. He came up to me and said, "Hey, man, I just want to tell you, bro. I went to your show in Jacksonville on May sixth, and I went to the UFC show on June twenty fourth. And he was like, no one can do it like you, man. He was like, even the UFC, the energy, the energy in the building that you guys are able to create." And then you guys like make happen. It's like it's magical, bro. He's like it's just magical. He's like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just something different. And he was just like, you, you got you got something real special. And I was like, hell yeah. Like that's the kind of stuff I want to hear. You know, no, we're not the USC. I don't want. I don't pretend like we're the USC or the Rebellator or any of the other stuff. But like, you know, I want people to walk away from our events, whether they're fighting or whether they're in the fan, they're a fan, and just feel like they were a part of a magical night. Like it was something special. Such a great name too, yeah. Combat Night MMA. I love it. It just like it feels like a event just saying it like yeah. it's i'm going to combat night it's know? so funny when we were coming up with that name <laughs> we were sitting there in the car and we were like and um josh actually uh he was like we were playing with combat and night and mma and um like extreme like all these different words that like involve like cage fighting and he was like combat night <laughs> and i was like it's pretty basic he was like yeah it's simple and i was like i mean i like it let's do it yeah and now you hear the name combat night 
and it's just like I don't know. It's like synonymous with um, like fighting. Like it's like yeah, that's MMA in Florida. So it's it's at the time it was like we were just both thought it was like super basic and like we didn't have to worry about what we were worried about was like search engine optimizers and stuff like mm-hmm. you know if we use ultimate or if we use fighting it's like you know we're not gonna get really anything off of that mm-hmm. it, it's funny like while we were so inexperienced in business we made a lot of really smart and good decisions initially. that is a really forward thinking decision yeah. thinking about the <laughs> search engine optimization yeah. of it that is smart what do you what are some of the biggest differences having gone from amateur to pro fighting like in in terms of actually like setting up the event and and putting on the event like what are what are the ma- like the major differences that um, the biggest differences are everything costs more mm-hmm. insurance costs more now you have to work with sense. the state of Florida boxing commission um, they're expensive you know you have to have their judges their refs um, they're doing all of the I guess you'd say like fighter safety anything in regards to fighter safety, like the refereeing, the doctors, they handle all of that now. And there's no hustling or negotiating of prices with them. It's like, this is what you pay, that's it. Um, You know, the running of the event, it's no different now. You know, at first it was very different. Um, There's a lot of like little rules, like they make you take a break between the amateur and the pros, a 30 minute Mm -hmm. break. Um, There's more medicals required, there used to be, now there's not. Um, but a lot of little things, nothing really big. The biggest thing is you spend a lot more money. So it's like literally five times the amount of an amateur show. That's so, a lot, yeah. And it's not like these people, you know, there's, there's, like say Billy, Billy's fighting for us and, you know, Billy fought for us as an amateur three months ago and Billy sold 20 tickets. Now Billy's going pro. He's still selling 20 tickets. Mm-hmm. But now we're paying him the insurance for his fight is more and we have to pay the state to have that fight happen. So it's like, even though you know, Billy's going pro. It's like the income for that fight, for Billy fighting, we don't sell more tickets because he's a pro now. It's still 20 tickets. We just have to um, spend five times more money. And the tickets are probably going to have to cost more, so it might be harder to sell them in the first place. We, we do our tickets for the same price. Do you really? Pro or amateur. Really? Yeah. That's impressive. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. I, but you just sell more. Yeah, we do You just have to venues. sell more. Okay, that makes, for the pros. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, there's no... There's That's no, cool. Yeah, there's no different. Like for all of our shows, pros and Amis are usually all the same. There might be like there used to be like towns like um, we struggled in Jacksonville. Man, we went to Jacksonville for like shit five years before we made money there. Really? Every show we'd be like, we're done. Fuck this town. Jacksonville's horrible. I don't want to come back here. And then like a week later, we're like, all right, when's our next Jacksonville show? <laughs> and it's funny because Jacksonville now has the our most prospects are out of Jacksonville. Like, Interesting. We have, uh, Steven Costles in the UFC, Trey Waters is in the UFC, Preston Parsons is in the UFC, Austin Lane's in the UFC, Ramon Tavares is fighting on the contender, will be in the UFC soon, and all those guys are from Jacksonville. Not just from Jacksonville, but like they literally were some of these kids were like 16, they were helping set up our cage in Jacksonville. And That's now cool. they're in the UFC fighting. So it's like oh. it's our worst town for money, but we just stuck with it and kept going and, and figuring yeah. it out. And now it's our biggest town for prospects. It's for growing sure. fast too. I'm actually yeah. from Jacksonville. That's where oh, I grew nice. up and everything. So I've seen it grow from like. How old are you? I am 26 now. Yeah. Okay. So Do you know Stephen grew... Costello by any chance? I don't know. Is he around that same that's a big age? Place. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's the biggest city land-wise in the United States, like yeah. in terms of actual size. Yep. And it's growing so fast the last couple yeah. of years. Um, it's it's funny because I I moved there first when I was like four years old and I lived there almost my whole life until college Mm -hmm. and I've just seen it grow so much even just since leaving for college it's 
it's a completely different city. I mean, so same. It, we we I, I really feel like Jacksonville is like the city that we grew with. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we went there, man, there's a couple other shows there. We had so much hate. People did not want us to be there. Like in promoting and in fighting, like fighting's a really weird thing. Um, I get along with a bunch of promoters, and I don't get along with a bunch of promoters. Um, there's no real sense of community amongst other fight promotions for the most part. It's like seen more as competition. It's yeah, it's very much competition. Yeah. And you know, even my be- like some of my best friends, Daniel Donaldson, he runs a show, Rise of a Warrior, the one that I copied essentially mm-hmm. Combat Night from. Um, even him, like we're competitive with each other, but we don't hate on each other. There's a yeah. difference. Like you can be competitive and not hate or not just um, want to see someone else fail. There's like that's the weirdest thing to me about business in general is like there's so much food on the table. Like you don't have to take someone's food off their plate. Like yo, yeah. go get your own shit. Like go figure it out. Um, and instead of like looking at my plate and being jealous or being mad about what I got on my plate, ask me how I got it. Exactly. Yo, talk to me about how I got it. Like me it's and the Donaldson, abundance mindset. Yeah, me Donaldson. Like there's a couple of promotions that we bounce things off of. Dean Tool. Like we talk about. Yo, I just did this. You should try that. Blah 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 blah. Oh, all right, cool. Like there's no mm-hmm. reason. Again, there's like there's plenty of food on the table. You know, I don't know how many people are in the city of Orlando or the city of Tampa or, you know, Jacksonville or Miami, but I would imagine that there's, you could do an event every week, an MMA event every weekend and manage to sell it out if you know how to promote and if you know how to do your job correctly. Let's get into that a little bit, promoting. I want to talk about some of, because obviously you promote professionally. That's Mm -hmm. like at the, one of the highest levels, what you do. What are some of the principles that you've learned over the years that go into good promoting? Like what? What goes into successful promoting for an event? Um, for an event in general, um, I'm not real. I'll give you what for fighting, for a, mm-hmm. for, for MMA event. I know that's probably what you meant anyways. Um, but I think number one is you're taking care of the people that are making it happen. Um, our fans are high up on the list, but they're not number one. You know, Our number one concern is are the fighters and the athletes and the coaches. Uh, we don't want to put the fans above them. We don't want to put ourselves above them. You know, I've been... I fought for plenty of promotions, and I can promise you, majority of the time, I might have been like fifth on the list of like order of importance. So I think the key, well, our key to success has been the people who make the show happen, the fighters, our team. Like we keep those guys number one. Um, I would say I would say the fighters and my team are right there next to one another, but my team also keeps the fighters number one. You know, mm-hmm. our, our motto, our mantra is fighters first. That simple. You know, yeah. Um, everyone that that works for my company or that you know, is involved in my company, with the exception of literally one person is a fighter, has been a fighter, has been a coach. They understand what it feels like to cut weight than fight. They understand the nerves, the adrenaline, you know, all of these things. And I think that that's something that um, gives us a huge advantage, being, being able to put ourselves in their shoes because we've literally been in their shoes before. Um, but for a successful fight promotion, you got to take care of the fighters first and foremost, and that's hard. It's a, it's a hard concept to um, put into practice because, you know, I'll go print 100 shirts and I fully expect to give away 75. Mm-hmm. I, just, I, I go to weigh-ins, you know, any fighter can attest to this. I start handing out shirts. We got nice, like, you know, fanny packs, little, little backpacks, you name it. Fighters, I give it all away. It's like, yeah. we go to weigh-in, sometimes I'm giving away Typical weigh-in, I'm probably giving away 1,000-plus in merch. Um, and that's a big one for me because I can't tell you how many times I went to a promoter in action for a free event shirt. First of all, like, 
I don't know. You should, you should never, if someone asks you for something for free, they just fought for you for free. Like, well, how are you going to tell that person they need to go pay 20 bucks or yeah. pay 40 bucks? Because amateurs aren't getting paid. Um, so that's a big one for me is taking care of the fighters and the fans. Um, taking care of the people I work with, you know, um, or the fighters on my team, but also the venues we work with. I consider every venue we work with a partnership. I don't look at them as a, a separate entity or like, you know, screw them or whatever. I don't care what they think, you know. I want them to be successful too. I want them to sell alcohol. I want them to have a good night, but I won't jeopardize the running of my show for them to sell alcohol. So mm -hmm. I, I see, again, fighters first. And I know fighters want to fight. And all the fans came there to see fights. So I'm not one of these promoters that like put those in five intermissions. Go grab a drink, go do this, go do that. Nah, you came to watch fights, you're gonna watch fights. Mm -hmm. So I give the fans what they want and the fighters what they want. Yeah. Um, as, as well as running a successful promotion, I think, um, Man, I see a lot of guys getting into like the um, the reasons they're doing it is for their ego, for themselves. They want to like they're the big man, they're the show. They're getting in the ring, grabbing the mic, talking repeatedly, and like it's like, man, this is not about you. Yeah. Um, it should always be about the again. I go back to the fighters. It should be about the fighters. Um, but I do think a lot of guys are prom are promoting events because they want their ego to be you know boosted and they want to be the big guy and the person who put it all together. I could care less. And when Josh was around, I really wasn't a face at all. I, Josh was very much the face, and I was very happy doing the work behind the scenes and just making sure everything came together and it all worked out. Um, again, the fighters should be number one. So I think everything I say is just going to resort back to like fighters being number one. I think if you can really find a way in every situation to always think I'm putting the fighters first, you're going to be successful. But uh, you know, a lot of times, I almost feel like <laughs> this is going to sound mean, but um, when it comes to most promotions. I almost feel like I'm, I'm at such a huge advantage. Like these guys have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And um, there are a few that really get it and really understand it. But like the guys that I don't get along with or that like I bump heads with, it's like I hate it because I see things they're doing wrong and it's like so obvious. It's like, man, how do you even think that's the right thing to do? Um, you're clearly not putting your athletes first in this situation. But I mean, I guess lucky for me. <laughs> yeah, I've heard recently from some of my friends that follow a lot more than I do that um, there's been some controversy recently and a lot of problems with the UFC in particular just because fighters don't feel like they're getting taken care of. They don't feel like they're getting paid enough. They don't feel like they're being put first. And that seems like, I mean, the fighters are the ones that are making the event a thing. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are, they're really the ones that are promoting for you and, and yeah promoting the entire thing it seems kind of like you would have to take care of them and that really shines through and what i've heard about combat night i mean our mutual connection mikey was telling me about like how the operation runs from like a fighter's perspective mm -hmm. he's fought in a couple and um he was just saying yeah man like mitch takes care of us like he really really takes care of us and we feel that and it makes us want to be a part of it yeah i mean I, and that's what we're trying we're trying to build a community um more so than just a fight promotion mm -hmm. uh I forget what the post was recently. Someone did something. Oh, it was um, Austin Lane. He gave a little interview, and he said, he kept saying, we, 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 we. He was talking about combat night, but he wasn't saying combat night, or they, or them. It was we. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that feels so good to hear. You know, this guy's played in the NFL for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's in the UFC. He, was making, he just made his debut in Jacksonville. And... I can't tell you like of all the shit he said like it all it was all very heartwarming to me to hear for him to say that but the most heartwarming part of that was it was we so it's like that lets me know like we're building a community here and we're not just another fight promotion like he really feels like he's a part of the combat night community um yeah that, that's the goal you know like i said i think a little bit ago it's not about 
um, having a fight promotion and, and all this other stuff. It's really just about building that community and giving these guys, you know, mentorship so that they can get to places that I never got or they can achieve things that I never achieved. Um, I, I can tell you, like, I know one day we're going to have a world champion for us. I know one day someone from Combat Night is going to make it all the way to the top. Not just someone. I think we have a few guys that have the ability to make it all the way to the top. And I think, um, yeah, that's just, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be thrilled when that happens. It's going to be dope. Like, I'm not going to, there's going to be no jealousy or no, like, I don't feel like I deserve anything because I helped on a part of their journey where I feel like, you know, I've literally heard other promoters, like when a fighter gets signed, like get offended because they weren't thanked. And it's like, well, it's their moment. It's not your yeah. fucking moment. Like, who cares if you didn't get thanked? You're a promoter. You're supposed yeah. to focus on the promotion. Exactly. And if they make it to the next level, and if you did your job correctly, and you helped them out, and you really were there for them, they'll thank you. And it doesn't need to be a public post. It can be a, a text message. It can be a, you know, whatever. Like, um, again, though, that's where I think a lot of people who are doing these promotions, they really make it about themselves instead of the athletes. You talk to, promote, mentor, learn about so many fighters and you're a fighter yourself. What are some of the things, because you mentioned like a potential world champion, the thing that comes to mind when I think about a champion and anything is you have to have a pretty incredible mindset, obviously, to be able to get to that point. What are some of the things that you've observed go into having the kind of mindset that it takes to succeed in the highest levels of fighting? I think the um, I think the biggest things are probably consistency and discipline. Um, you know, consistency isn't unless you have the discipline. I don't think consistency consistency matters either. Like you have to be consistent about the things that you don't want to do and the things you do want to do. You know, I know guys that train and bust their ass. And they're so consistent with their training, but they're so undisciplined with their diet, mm. or they're so mm -hmm. undisciplined with their their rehab and their recovery. Um, and you know, discipline to me is not really about, it's not about doing the things that you love to do. That's not discipline. If you love training, so you're there every day, you can't say I'm disciplined about training. Well, well, no, you love it. What do you mean you enjoy it? Discipline is doing the things consistently that you don't enjoy. So if, you know, for Because me, you know that you have to do them you know you have to, to be do successful. Them. Yeah, it's like that's discipline. Discipline's not, for me it was dieting, right? Um, I hated, I hated dieting. I hated it with a passion, and because I was not disciplined in that area of my life and my fight career, I probably—I I mean, I definitely point that my finger at that as like where I fell off with fighting, um, why I didn't do as well as I, I probably could have because I wasn't disciplined in my diet. Um, for a lot of people, it's like partying. You know, they are—they—they um, they train really super hard. They bust their ass all week, and then on the weekend they go out and party and drink and do all these things that. I promise you TJ Dillashaw's not doing. I promise you Khabib's not doing. I promise you maybe John Jones is doing. Um, so there's like there's some guys that can get away with that, right? But they're like less than 1%. It's not mm -hmm. you can't look at Conor McGregor and think I'm going to act like Conor McGregor before I get there because you'll mm -hmm. never get there. Um, but you know, definitely discipline and consistency are the two main, you know. Um, I've seen guys that were super talented and had everything it took to get there and still not get there because they weren't disciplined or consistency. And then I've seen guys who weren't that talented, that were very disciplined, very consistent, and, and you know, never never faltered, never just always grinding, make it. I mean, I've, I've literally been told by guys, like, oh, that guy has, doesn't have a chance. That guy's not gonna make it. That guy's 6-0 in the UFC right now. You sh shut your ass up. Because of the consistency and discipline. discipline. Yep. To use an example from a different sport, Kobe Bryant, um, was known for kind of coming in and not being, thinking in high school, maybe even in the NBA, not being one of the the best 
in his teams, but just being the guy that would practice literally three times a day every day when everyone else was practicing one. And he just caught this momentum from that and just eventually caught up to everyone who was way more naturally talented. And by the time that they realized he was passing them, he was long gone. And yeah, it's too late. You just catch momentum doing that and having the consistency and the discipline. You catch this momentum that is unstoppable, I yeah. think. No, it's true. And, you know, um, I, I see this all the time in the gym, man. I'll see a new guy come in who's not that great, maybe a little athletic, but he's, like, very green. He's not that good. And the, the guy who's been there for three years, four years, is whooping that guy's ass. Just giving it to him, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like the cycle. Everyone has to go through that ass whooping phase. And then a year goes by and that guy was real dedicated, mm-hmm. real disciplined, real consistent. I always saw him in the gym. The other guy, you know, he misses a week, comes back, fights, doesn't come back for three months, and then comes back when he has another fight camp going on. Not very good. And then that guy who's got a quarter less training in theory of time, but no, he trains every day. And he's there 52 weeks out of the year. You're only here 30 weeks out of the year, so he's catching up to you. So a year and a half, two year come up, and now he's beating the guy that used to whoop him. And it's just like, man, like how does that make you feel? Like you, it can't feel good. And yeah. it's like, oh, that guy's gotten really good really quick. And it's like, nah, bro, you you should be a lot better than him right now. But mm-hmm. he stayed consistent and he stayed disciplined. And because of that, he's being rewarded now and he's whooping your ass. And now, and once they get to that point, there, like you said, there's no catching up. It's just too late. You mentioned that discipline is not wanting to do the thing, but doing it anyway. Yep. What is the internal dialogue that you have in those moments personally when there's something that you don't want to do, but you know you have to do it? What's the internal dialogue that gets you to do it anyway? Um, I'm a shit talker. So just by nature, if, if you train with me, if you work with me, um, everyone knows that I'm a shit talker. I'm just going to talk smack all day. Like <laughs> if I feel like you're faltering or like you are slacking, like I don't, I'm not quiet about it. Like mm-hmm. anyone on my team is slacking, I'm gonna give them shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna call them out, and I'll call them out in front of the whole in the front of the whole place. I'm no different with myself. Um, I told you before I came in today, I went and lifted over at uh, CrossFit Tough as Nails, and I hate lifting. It's not my thing. Look at me. I'm I'm a I'm a fucking I'm a weenie. I'm You're in great shape. Um, I'm in great shape, but I also <laughs> weigh 150 pounds. You know what I mean? Like I'm not mm-hmm. some big massive guy. You can you can tell I'm not <laughs> I'm not on juice. I'm not lifting weights. Um, so for me, that's my hardest area to be disciplined in right now is weightlifting. I know the older mm-hmm. I get, the more I need to have that for my bone density and like just overall health. You know, you want to be lifting. MMA is great. That training is great for cardio, but I have to do some strength training as mm-hmm. well. My inner dialogue in those moments, and I talk about it. I mean, every story you ever see about weightlifting, I'll say it. I hate this. I can't stand this. Um, the whole drive there, I'm telling myself like, yeah, just just when you get there, do shadow boxing, do this, do that. Anything fight related, I love doing. Um, but when I'm there, it's literally talking shit to myself. Like, don't be a, don't, don't fucking stop. Like you can fucking do more. You know, you can like, you know, when I'm picking up the weight and it's like, there's a 35 pound dumbbell and there's a 50 pound dumbbell and there's a 60 pound dumbbell. I'm like, I know I did 50 pounds last week. I can do 50 for sure. And then I get through two sets and my body feels good. And it's like, don't be a bitch. Go grab that 60 pound dumbbell. So I'm talking shit to myself the whole time, but I will tell you that. When I walk out of that place, I always feel better than whenever I walked in. Mm-hmm. Like, regardless of how sore I am or how much I, I'm, I'm pouring in sweat, um, you know, doing the things that I don't like to do but I know are good for me, I always feel great after the fact. Um, but 
trust me, on Friday morning when I go back into that gym to work out, I'm going to hate every minute of it. Yep. I'm going to talk shit to myself every second of it. I'm going to call myself a bitch probably five times. <laughs> but I'll get through it, and I'll, I'll feel better after the fact. Sometimes, like, avoiding the pain is a more motivating force, just, like, harnessing or harnessing, like, the negative forces. I've heard that talked about a lot yeah. lately. Harnessing, like, that negative force can be way more powerful than harnessing yeah. a positive force. And I, I think that's a that's a thing that people kind of forget, and I think it's a really good thing to take advantage of. And I, I totally agree with the um, – the you know just coming out and feeling so much better after a workout i've been struggling recently with lifting because i it's not that i don't love doing it i i have always loved fitness since i got into it but i've struggled so much with consistency consistency lately for it because i'm in the middle of building a big like starting and launching a business right now and so it's like the thing that i feel like i have to prioritize and i walked out of the gym this morning and i was talking to my girlfriend and I was saying, I feel fantastic. And she was like, you always say that when you come out of the gym, like you always say that you feel great. You've got to stick to it. And you do just, you get this incredible feeling, just doing hard things that you know you have to do. You got to do hard things, man. Like the, the, the last place I want to be is comfortable. And I mean, you hear these guys like Jocko and Goggins and Joe Rogan and all these guys talk about like not wanting to be comfortable. And, um, it's just, I, the most growth I ever see in, in my life is always when I'm the most uncomfortable. It never fails, whether it's doing the pro show that I never did before, whether it's, um, you know, working out. I just don't want to be, I'm uncomfortable. I'm like, I, I could do anything else but this. Whether it was jujitsu, whenever I, someone, I didn't understand the sport that well and they had me in side control or full mount and they're like beating the crap out of me. That's not comfortable. But showing up and doing it again the next day and showing up and doing it again and continuing to do it, that's why I see my most growth, 100%. And finding that growth, I feel like, brings you just this life force. Like, you, you, there's no better, like, more empowering life force than feeling yourself growing and getting better oh, yeah. at something. Like, feels it's good. Just, it feels so good, yep. right? Like, feeling yourself tangibly, physically just improve and yep. seeing the feedback that you get. And I think fitness is probably one of the few areas where you can really see that in, like, a short period of time. It doesn't take long. Like, whether it's picking up a heavier weight hitting a submission on a guy that you didn't you weren't able to hit on ever before it's like you can really see these things in fitness in boxing it's like landing a jab on somebody that you've never landed a jab on it's like you can really see your improvements so that's why it's like it's so weird to me that um more people don't fall into the fitness routines because i know how good it feels to hit a goal or to 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 feel the improvement and i see that i mean almost every every week i'm improving my game somewhere it could be my top game my bottom game it could be you know um, my boxing, my, my Muay Thai, but I'm going to see some kind of improvement somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it feels good to see that. It feels good to feel that. I think like anything, fitness, you have to hit this kind of initial curve at the beginning. You have to kind of get over this hump where you feel like you're just terrible at this thing and you feel like, how do I possibly get any better? I think you have to get over this initial hump and I think a lot of people get stuck on that. And I think that goes for business too. I think it goes for kind of anything that you're trying to get better at. When have you seen moments like that in your life where you had this completely new pursuit and you just got over that hump eventually and you saw yourself just kind of expand on the other side? You know, I, I think in everything I've done, I mean, whether it was my black belt in jujitsu, whether it was um, combat night, you know, whether it's my family, it's like, yo, having kids is probably one of the greatest things to ever happen to me. Like I know f- for sure I was supposed to be a dad. Like, if I don't do anything else in my life, this is this is this is the coolest thing I'll probably ever do is being a dad, um, and being able to like see life through their eyes. Like 
I watched my kid struggle to crawl for weeks. I watched them struggle to walk for weeks. It's like a remember, it's a reminder that like, yo, I was that at one point in time. Now I'm running and I'm, I'm kicking ass. So I don't ever get like, I'm not one of these people. I've failed plenty of times, but it doesn't discourage me. It doesn't upset me. And I know a lot of people, it can and it will deter them and, and like, oh, whatever, I'm not gonna do it all together. But I mean, everything, everything I've done that's, that's, that's worthwhile, I failed initially, or maybe I failed multiple times at it, you know. Um, Jiu-jitsu, I remember as a white belt, like my instructor, and and now it's like, I look back at this moment, and it's like one of the best moments I, ever, I was ever told in my life. He looked at me, I just put a purple belt to sleep. And the school was a little young, this is like 10 years ago. I put a purple belt to sleep with a guillotine. A guillotine is like, for traditional jiu-jitsu guys, is like kind of an ugly move, wrist locks, guillotines, um, footholds are like just ugly jujitsu mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the time back then it really was like even more so now it's a little different um new age new school thought but uh put him to sleep he walks over and like he like kind of kicks him a little bit he's like hey hey wake up and like guy comes to him like looks at him and he's like man what is this and he's like huh he's like out of it he's like mitchell go to wall and i was like oh shit i'm in trouble like i just put this purple belt to sleep i'm in trouble i go sit on the wall the round's over, and he put everyone on the wall, and he was picking out who's gonna go with who next. He doesn't pick me for anyone. So I sit there for a little bit, and I was like, damn. All right, he's mad. And then round's over, picks walls again, everyone out. I'm one to speak my mind. I'm like, hey. He's like, what's up? And I was like, um, I'm like, did I do like, did I do something wrong? Like, what's up? He's like, no, you have ugly jujitsu. Your jujitsu is ugly. Like, you don't. I don't want to see you anymore on top. No more on top. Like, the jujitsu is ugly. And I was like, okay. So after class, and he says this like loud, like, you know, it's like, just says it loud. After class, I go to him, I'm like, hey man, I was like, well, what do you want me to see? What do I need to, what do you want to see from me then? And I was like, you know, you don't want me on top? And you want me to play guard? And he's like, yeah, I want you to play guard for now. I don't want to see you on top anymore. And I was like, all right, because I was a wrestler going into it. Mm, okay. So, so that was like your natural disposition yeah, to be on top. So I was like, all right. Here we go. I'm just gonna play the guard from now on. I'm gonna pull guard, move on my back, and man, like for six months, exclusively, what I would do if I swept somebody, I would find a way to get back on bottom to sweep them again or to work again. And at the time, I was super offended that day. I was very offended, and I was like upset. I was like, damn, man, like here I am, like submitting a purple belt. I'm a white belt, and like I'm doing what I feel is right. I'm winning, mm -hmm. but I wasn't improving. I was just continuing to do what I do. Right. And he saw that, you know. Um, I can look back now and see that's what he saw, that like I wasn't really improving. I was just doing what I was good at. So he, that's why he wanted me to be doing um, guard. And um, for me, that was a big moment. That changed my jujitsu game. Like that 100%, that conversation, that moment of feeling like a failure and like I was just, I, sh I shouldn't be doing jujitsu turned into why I'm so good at jujitsu now. How do you recognize for yourself when you're doing something right, but you should still change and do something else because you're not improving? Um, hmm, bro, I, I am- a tough question. It's, it's not for me, man. I don't think there's ever, I'm never, I'm, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. Again, I don't like being comfortable. So um, I'm always looking to improve and always looking to get better. And I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm ever gonna fall into that trap. I'm not gonna say I will never, but I don't think I will because I'm just, I'm constantly trying to get better. Even these events, man, like, um, you know, 
I'm always looking to improve something small, something little. Like, what can I do more over here? What can I do better over here? At the end of every event, the, the team's talking. We're trying to figure out what, what could have been done better, what wasn't done right, or what did we do that didn't really work out. Like, oh, we tried that, but it wasn't really, we weren't feeling it. Do we tweak it? Do we get rid of it? What do we do? Um, I don't really, I mean, I know that might sound a little um, a little weird, but I just don't, I don't, I don't allow myself to be comfortable. And anyone that's around me, um, you can ask literally anybody i am hard on those around me i am so hard on those around me because i want to see them be successful i want to see them do great things in their life most of it is in the fight game but you know there's fighters that i still mentor and talk with that decided not to fight anymore they're doing something else with their life and as long as they're being successful and they're happy and they're doing what they love i'm happy for them um you know i we, i could go on days about that but yeah, I just, I'm not, I'm as hard as I am on everyone around me, I'm 10 times harder on myself and my fiance. Brandy, Brandy gets a, Brandy, Brandy gets a help. She hates it, but I'm like always talking about growth. You know, mm -hmm. I'm always on her ass about growth, growth, growth. Um, you know, she told me uh, recent things, she told me she needed to start working out again. Um, we had our baby girl. Uh, she came 16, 17 weeks early. She was a 23 week old micro preemie. She weighed a pound. Wow. Um, yeah, back wow. October 6th, two years. This October 6th will be your two year birthday. She's supposed to be born on January 28th. So at that age, you don't have like wow. your lungs aren't open, all kinds of health issues. We were in the hospital for four months with her, um, taking care of her and like trying to figure out life. And Brandy fell off from training. Brandy fell off from like um, working out. Understandable. So, yeah. you know, by all means. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I heard her couple times say I want to start working out again I need to start mm -hmm. getting back in the gym again da, 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 da. and well, I heard it for like the fourth time and I was like all right do it stop talking about it like yeah. we have a gym right here at the house mm -hmm. and she's like a right away excuse which is natural most people I think their first instinct to someone trying to push them to grow or be better is an excuse of why I can't grow or be mm -hmm. better Psh, I got rebuttals for days like <laughs> you know we go at it and then um, she's like all right tomorrow I'm gonna start working I'm like no 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 the gym's right there Go work out. Mm -hmm. She's like, you're right. She goes and works out. She's like, I feel so much better. Yep. And now she's been on there the routine for a few weeks. She's like, I just feel so much better. Like getting in the sauna and doing everything, you know, for her her also, not just her physical, but mental wellness as well. Um, I'm just hard on everybody around me, man. And it's so funny, like sometimes like my team will be like, man, like I feel like you're just you're on my ass today. Da -da 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 -da. And I'm like, man, just be happy you ain't got to live with me. <laughs> That's it. Like yeah. as hard as I am on you, I promise you, I'm harder on Brandy and myself and I want her to be hard on me too. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm faltering or if I'm not doing something that I said I was gonna do, you know, I'm with a woman that I know is gonna tell me, like, yo, tighten your shit up. Yep. She's not gonna let it fester. She's not gonna let it like grow into something it shouldn't be. She's gonna tell me to tighten my shit up. And I'm gonna respect that and I'm gonna do that. What is the biggest thing that you're trying to work on and improve in your own life right now? Like going forward. <laughs> something you experienced today. Um being timely. Uh, being on time oh, for you were a couple minutes late. I know, but <laughs> I promise you, it's a it's a problem. <laughs> I um I put too much on my plate. That will probably never change. I will mm -hmm. always be the person that like I don't want to make a second trip to the buffet. I want to just get it all at once mm -hmm. and enjoy sit down and enjoy my food. And it's the same way in my life. Um, you know, you can ask anyone about the events we run. Like sometimes we'll have five events in a four week period of time. Like it's like event, 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 event. Wow. I'm working for other people's events. I'm like, you know, I'm also an event consultant for um, a company called Karate Combat. So like, um, and then I also, if one of my fighters gets in the UFC or one of my fighters fights on the contender, I'm gonna fly out and watch them. I, I gotta support. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I just put too much on my plate. And then, um, 
I don't really think about how I'm going to get it all down, but I do. Mm -hmm. I always figure out how I'm going to get it all down, but like I got to get better with scheduling and timing. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm really, really poor at that. It's a tough thing. I'm struggling with a lot of the same myself. It's like, like if you always have something to do, this is like a, a genuine just problem of the business owner because you always have something to do. So I always find myself like working on something. I'm like, all right, I've got 10 minutes till I've got a like absolute latest till I've got to leave for somewhere, but I've also got 10 minutes of work to get done. So I'm going to get the work done so that I can then leave and go get the thing done. And then next thing you know, it's been 12 minutes. I'm like, fuck, like I gotta go. Like yeah. it just, it, there's always something to get done. It's, it's hard not to, but it's, it's also, it's kind of rewarding having a lot on your plate. It just, yeah. it, it constantly forces you to grow and get better and, and adapt. I, the biggest adjustment I'd say I've made this year is just starting to put stuff on the schedule immediately. I'd, I literally just like pull out the schedule, put something on, even if it's just following up with someone, I'm like yeah. schedule right yeah. now. Cause it won't happen otherwise. I need to get better at doing that. That's, that's where I know I need, I need to be scheduling stuff and just making those little a reminder pops up. Hey, da, 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 da. but man, I just, I forget in the moment mm -hmm. and then I don't do it. Like I'm, I'm thankful you sent me a, an actual, I thought <laughs> you're going to laugh. Remember I told you, <laughs> you thought it was three o'clock. Yeah. I thought it was three o'clock last week. Oh my God. Oh, well, we had talked about last week initially. Yeah. yeah. But I knew it changed. I knew yeah. it, like after when I saw it, I was like, I knew that I knew that fucking changed. Like, <laughs> but I literally, I was like that Wednesday, I was Wednesday is like one of my lifting days. I was like, Oh, I got to get to the gym early. I got to do this. Da, 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 da. I was like, I'm gonna go ahead and put the phone in the, the address in my map. So I know exactly where it's at. So yeah. I pulled up the, uh, the invite and I um, <laughs> put it in my maps. And then I went back to the invite. Cause I like, I ended or whatever. And I saw two o'clock, I saw the date and I was like, wait a second, what is today? <laughs> I was like, man, all right, all right. That's next week. Yeah. So I scheduling in my up. time is, is, is my biggest. It took me, I'm um, going to see a therapist about two times a month right now. Mm -hmm. And it took to kind of like help me manage all the stuff on my plate and deal with some other stuff. I lost my dad a couple of years ago and it took her probably telling me to start scheduling stuff like 30 or 40 times before I yep. even like tried to start doing it. It was just like, sometimes it takes like so many reminders and like someone's yep. gotta be hard on you about something before you can actually yeah, make all the a time. change. It's all the time. People, you don't learn, you know, we're hardheaded. Humans in general are hardheaded. And I think business mm -hmm. owners are probably even more hardheaded. Um, otherwise they probably, I mean, I think that's a good, a good trait to have in some, in some sense, but you know, especially when it comes to introducing something new, it's like, but everything I'm, it's not efficient, but I'm mm -hmm. doing it. Like I got it figured out. Exactly. The timing thing's hilarious to me too. Anyone who's been to one of our events, anyone who's fought for us, um, they know. Like if we say we're starting at 4:15, we're starting at 4:15. Mm -hmm. If they say my team knows. Look, if I say we're going live for the pro show at this time, we need to make sure we're going live at this time. Yeah. And we're very like punctual and very much like on top of that. And I can manage an event in my sleep. I'm so good at time management with an event. But personal life, pff, out the window. <laughs> it's funny how that happens. I feel the same way about this podcast. It's like I like everything is down to a T. Like things get done on time, but then like same thing personal life. It's like all right, well, I mean, I've got the other stuff that I've got to get done for business and for the podcast and everything. Yeah. And if that doesn't get done, then nothing else is getting done. Yeah, it's the hardest thing is that is that working out too. Like mm -hmm. working out because you tell yourself you're like, man, you know, I can. I worry about this later. I'll, I'll work out later today. I got to get this done. Or you go work out and then you're thinking about what you need to get done in business the whole time. So it's like exactly. I, sometimes the workouts aren't even enjoyable because I've allowed myself. I've I had to like literally figure out a routine. Like I try to go early enough and not 
start doing business before I go because if I start, it's over. I'm yeah, like, I'm, I'm gonna be at the gym the whole time, like picking up my phone, sending stuff, doing things, and it's like it's not even. I'm getting the workout in, but I'm not getting the mental like right. That's, that's a, for me the mental clarity is the biggest part of working out. Like mm. the physical stuff, it's obviously I enjoy that too, but that mental clarity of just not not having to think about work for an hour. Yeah. Not having to worry about something falling apart or something happening. Like put my phone on silent, put it upside down and don't look at it. I got I totally agree with that. I'm terrible about that too. I was making a to-do list in the gym this morning for like yeah. the for the day and yep. I wasn't really presently there in the workout. It yep. was it felt like I was working and I, my workout probably wasn't as good because of it. I think that's a an important way to approach it. I got to just stop working out with music or something. Like yeah. just work out like in silence and just be there. Yeah. Be Same thing. I don't do I don't do music anymore. Like I'll listen to a podcast if I am mm-hmm. um, like during my cardio workout. I might do some like um, like a podcast for thirty minutes. But um, I try to remind myself too. Like one of the biggest things I think, um, and I don't think I'm the only business owner that struggles with this, but it's it's twofold. Rome wasn't built in a day, and it wasn't destroyed in a day. Mm-hmm. So I can step away from my business for two hours for myself, for my family, and um, it's not going to fall apart. If something happens, it's like it's not it's not you don't have to address every issue right when it happens. And that's always been like my fault. Probably a big reason why we've grown as well as we've grown too, because you know someone messages me about a fight or wanting to do something, I'm addressing it boom boom mm-hmm. boom right away. And really in the past year, I've tried to take a step back and be like, I don't have to respond immediately. I don't have to have my phone in my hand all the time. Um, and I'm able to, like I said, Rome wasn't built in a day and it wasn't destroyed in a day. So um, especially for, you know, that's really any business owner, man. I know guys who get, that are new in business and they think, you know, everything should be popping. The idea was great. One year in, I should be making money. And it's like, Psh, it's, it took us five years, mm-hmm. like five real hard years before we saw the fruits of our labor. Yeah. It's an important thing to be reminded of. I, I always love hearing that from someone who's been in the game a long time because it's like it's so easy to get discouraged if you're early on in a business. And it really does. It takes so much time. Very easy. I see guys all the time, man, who, who jump into business um, and they have all these great grand ideas. and They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And I'm like, ah, you know, like, I was talking like, hey, man, in theory, though, like you need to you know, start small and like mm-hmm. work your way up. Like don't jump in the deep end of the pool right away. Like jump yeah. in the kiddie pool first and then work your way up the deep end. And you know, some I think our uh, our own ambition sometimes will cloud our judgment and we think, oh, I can I can jump in the deep end. And I've never been here before, but I'm gonna jump right in. Um, especially in our world, in MMA and in fighting um, with promoters and stuff. I see guys that come in new on the scene and I almost know off rip success or fail. Like if they come out on the scene and they're trying to put LEDs up and they're trying to do all this fancy stuff and they're, it's like, oh man. People see combat night now and they think like, oh, we've done this all the time. Psh, we did not. Like we, we have grown, it's years of growth, 10, 11 years now, you know, 160 mm-hmm. events to get where we are. Um, so anytime I see someone coming new in the game and they're trying to match what we're doing, it's like, psh, you already messed up. You're gonna fizzle out fast. You already messed up. Yeah. Cause I know. Because you got to be able to establish something that you can do consistently before you can take it up to, to a next higher level. level and a higher level. Yep. It's very true. What is the biggest thing that you would like to see happen to improve Combat Night this year? The biggest thing I would like to see happen to improve Combat Night this year, um, man, I actually, I've had a lot of conversations about this over the last um, couple of weeks because I feel a little stagnant in growth. 
And that is probably my most uncomfortable feeling is mm-hmm. stagnant. I just don't like the idea of like, you know, every year we do something. Maybe we add pro shows. Maybe we, you know, we put an LED screen up and we're adding to our production. We've up, we were just talking about cameras earlier. We upgraded mm-hmm. our cam- our cameras for the uh, pay-per-view. Um, for growth this year, my goal is a TV deal. So um, we have a pay-per-view right now that is ran through us. It does great. Um, you know, we've talked to multiple streaming platforms. We've had offers from even some of the major ones like UFC and um, Fight Pass. But I also want my worth. I want my value. You know, I don't feel like um, I think we bring a lot to the table. And uh, so, you know, we'll sit out here until I feel like we find something that also sees our value and that we can be a part of. But that's the big goal for this year. Um, by the end of the year would be some sort of streaming deal locked in. Um, we got a lot of big stuff happening on behind the scenes. I'm not somebody that likes to talk about, you know, big news coming. Or this is going to happen or we got this until there's some paperwork signed and everything's in place. Uh, my mouth stays pretty shut, but mm-hmm. the, the end of this year, I want to. I won't be happy if, if we end this year and we don't have a TV deal or a major streaming deal in place that's paying us our value. Because to me, it's like, you know, some of these um, streaming deals are offering like 45k, right? And to to someone who's not in the business, or to a fighter, or to someone who's not a promoter, even maybe some other promoters are like, oh, 45k. Why wouldn't you take that? And it's like, all right, well. That forty-five k includes, you know, a fifteen thousand dollar in production bump. So mm-hmm. I got to spend fifteen thousand more just in production. Yeah. And then they want special. to make it the kind of level that it needs to be at to for the be, streaming platform. Yeah. Because I will say our production right now, like our lighting and stuff, isn't TV lighting. Mm-hmm. Because why would we pay for TV lighting if we don't have TV right. or streaming? So like, okay, you want me to spend fifteen, um, fifteen twenty grand on raising the production value of our event? Okay, cool. Now we're down to twenty-five thousand. Oh, you want me to stream on a Thursday night? You want me to do my event on a Sunday night? You want me to do my event on a win any night but Saturday night because that's when the UFC is is having their events. It's like okay, so now I'm losing five to ten grand in ticket sales. Yeah. Okay, my pay per view no more. I don't get my pay per view anymore. So now I'm losing five to ten grand in pay per views. All right, where are we at now? We got like five or ten grand left. Mm-hmm. The fighters want to get paid more. My team wants to get paid more. If everyone's having to do more work to make that event happen, and now. I paid my team, and maybe I paid the fires a little bit more money, and what you know, what's left? Nothing. Yeah. And it's like to, to me, that's you not can't a be success. in that position. No, that's yeah. not a win. And then I got a boss, someone mm-hmm. telling me when I can and can't do shows. <laughs> yep. And then someone owns my content, like the most valuable part. So like I'm essentially getting paid nothing for valuable content. Let's mm-hmm. say I have the next Conor McGregor fighting for me, and he fights for me ten times on UFC Fight Pass. Well, guess what? All of Conor, the next Conor McGregor's fights are owned by UFC Fight Pass. They're geniuses for doing what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense from a business perspective for them for to, sure. to look for those types of deals. For but. sure. But for me, it's like, you know, we gotta get our worth, and, I, mm-hmm. and our worth is, I'll be happy, if I don't make another dime, if I, if I stay where I'm at right now in business and my money, um, I'm completely happy. I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that is going and buying, you know, new vehicles all the time, or boats, or anything like that. Um, I'm really happy at where I'm at in life right now. If I can just find a way to make the fighters that fight for me more money and my team more money, I'm happy. So unless a deal comes across the table that does that for me where I can go, okay, cool, my, I can pay my team now, I can pay the fighters now more money, um, I'm just not interested. And I, I feel like that um, that'll come that'll come by the end of the year. I think so. It sounds like you're incredibly motivated and there's already stuff in the works that could come to fruition. That's exciting. Yeah. What is um, – what is like any personal goals that you have for 2023? Anything that comes to mind, like aside from like combat related things, you mentioned like 
we were talking about your family earlier. I know that's become a massive part of your life. And I wanted to circle back to that a little bit too, because um, I, I had one question that I forgot to ask earlier. You said that you always felt like you like, or not always did, but you said that you realized that you, you were always meant to be a dad. And I was mm-hmm. curious, like, did you always like have that feeling or was that something that kind of came later? Did you know that that was going to be a thing for you? I knew I was going to be a dad. I didn't know how much I was going to enjoy it. You know, um, I, I thought the idea of having a mini me, I don't know, Austin Powers <laughs> comes to mind, right? Yeah. Like the idea of like a legit mini me that I get to kind of mold and have fun with and like, like, and then once he was born, it like even more so, it's like, man, this is like, I get to experience life again through his eyes, you know? Um, do you remember the first time, the first car you ever got? Mm-hmm. Of course. How great did it feel? Amazing. Okay. Incredible. Did, did you feel that way when you bought your last car? No. Okay. No. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you get to see first time experiences through your children's eyes and like getting to see that, those moments, like <gasps> a balloon, <gasps> you know, every, everything first time, first time trying pizza, oh, pizza, you know, it's like, that's when I knew like, this is what I'm supposed to do the rest of my life. I'm supposed wow. to be a dad. Like this is it. And also when I started realizing like how important me mentoring other people were, and trying to help them through their first experiences of fighting or their experiences of getting sponsorships or you know whatever because that was something I never had and I had to figure out on my own. Luckily I did and I was very successful, but like 95, 90% of fighters don't have that. They don't have that mentorship or just the ability to figure it out on their own. So, you know, through my through being a dad, I also realized like, you know, I can provide a lot of helpful insight and I can help others get to the, where they want to be. Um, but back to the dad thing, I, I go off on tangents a lot. I apologize. Tangents are welcome here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I would say it was that whenever I saw, you know, obviously when he was, my boy Caden was born for the first time I got to see him. I'll never forget, man. It was like one of the most, um, it was like, it makes me want to like just cry thinking about it, but he comes out. Um, it was, uh, it was crazy. I almost didn't, wasn't there for my son's birth. Quick wow. story. Um, my, my, we got a fight. Nope. My girl's in labor. I'm in the room, she's going through labor and all this stuff, whatever, and um, he's turned down, or I think it's called a face, where like basically it's like he can't come out, then he gotta turn the body, so sorry. He's trying to like turn the head, he's like, baby's not turning, you know, we're gonna have to take you in for a C-section, and that wasn't part of our, that wasn't part of our plan, you know, our plan was, you know, birthing plan was the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it all went, and everything was going great until labor came. So they're like, all right, dad, we're gonna go prep her and get her ready, we'll kinda come grab you before we, um, deliver and then I'm sitting there I'm like it's been a long time I'm sitting here for a good little minute and then a nurse comes and she's like alright dad let's go let's go let's go oh my and I'm like what and I'm like I'm like running through the halls to like get in I literally walk in and like almost within like a minute of me walking in here and I was oh like my shit God. so Brandy tells me after the fact that she had to ask where I was Oh my! and they God. had just forgot which is you know, yeah. understandable. They're in the moment and trying to figure everything yeah, out. Yeah, baby's livelihood, um, heart rate was going up, and all these mm-hmm. things were happening. So, like, I get it. Like, I'm, if if I hadn't got in there, I wouldn't have got it. I would have yeah. been, I would have blew up. You know, I'd have been freaking out. But um, so they they bring him out, and they they're like, "Daddy, you want to come meet the baby?" So I got to see the baby first. Um, they're like uh, cleaning him up, and I walk over, and I was like, "Hey, Caden," and he was like, he was like crying, and he just like stops turns and like opens it like like opens his eyes like who like i know that voice wow and that moment for me was just i was like hands down 
Like he really recognized my voice. He understood, you know, he knew this is someone important in my life. Um, but that was a big moment where I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but like, I also knew as much as I wanted to be a dad that, and as great as kids are, I had to wait. So, you know, I didn't have my first, we had Katie when I was 30. Mm-hmm. And I think most people have kids in their early 20s. Um, I think they're doing, I, I'm gonna probably piss someone off, but I think they're doing themselves a disservice and they're doing their child a disservice. Does it work out? Mm-hmm. 100%, yeah, it works out. But, and not everyone is, is like this, but I would say the majority of people wanna enjoy their early 20s. They wanna party, they wanna have a good time, they wanna experience things, they wanna travel. And having a kid, like it's just hard to experience life for yourself because especially being a fighter, I tell fighters all the time, like what's the best piece of advice you could give me? Don't have a kid, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know who I was until I was 27, 28 years old. I think the same is for most women too. They don't really know who they are, maybe a little younger, 25, 24 years old. So if you're having a kid before you're 27, you don't even know who you are yet. And a lot of my friends, like um, Mikey is a good example. He's 29 and I listened to the last podcast and it's like, motherfuckers figuring it out mm-hmm. like he's getting it now and that, I think I we think, talked about that a little bit it was so cool because yeah. i had i interviewed him last year and then i interviewed him again this year and and he had a lot of stuff figured out last year already but when i interviewed him this year it was like wow like so much has clicked for him yeah. he is locked in so it's, it's cool to see and it's happened at his 28 29 mm-hmm. like this was when it's happening so you know, a lot of my guy friends around me and a lot of the, the women around me in my life, like I see that, you know, that age, you know, after you're 25, you know, somewhere before you're 30, most people are figuring it out. Um, so waiting to have my child was huge because fighting, fighting is, you have to be selfish. If you're mm-hmm. not gonna be selfish as a fighter, if you're not going to um, do everything in your power to be the best in the world and what you think is the right thing to do, um, there's a good chance you're not gonna be successful. I know a lot of guys that are training at gyms that they're not really feeling right now, like, oh, I don't know, I don't, I can't do this, I can't do that, or I don't feel like I'm growing, but you know, they're family, and it's like, all right, cool, like, that's a great, that's the attitude that everyone wants to have, is like, this is my family, but if you're not growing, or you're not getting better, you yeah, should go have a talk else. with that instructor and to ask him, hey, what do I need to do to get better? Right. What, you know, be selfish, tell him, I need more of your time, mm-hmm. and if they're not gonna get that, then you need to go somewhere else where you can get that. Um, so being a fighter, you're gonna be very selfish. You gotta gotta be. And being a, a father, you gotta be very selfless. Mm-hmm. So it, how do you how do you pull off both at the same time? I mean, I couldn't do it. I know some guys do, and I've seen some guys pull it off. Um, but I, in my opinion, you know, while you're a fighter, you should be very very selfish. Um, you can ask Brandy, my wife. I told her very early on that she wasn't number one. I was like, I'm sorry, fighting is number one. You know, I remember us when we first started dating, like six months in. Um, it's time to go to the gym. She's like, oh, just just snuggle with me. It's raining. Like, let's just sit here and snuggle. And I'm like, I literally, you can ask her. I look at her and be like, nah, I told you. Mm-hmm. Fighting is number one. And please don't try to take that away from me. Like, fighting is going to be number one. And if you, if you if you push too much, you won't even be number two. Like, mm-hmm. I just can't. I can't. Like, I'm that. I'm, I'm a very driven and focused individual. When I want to do yeah. something, I'm doing it. And I don't lie. I don't, I don't sugarcoat it. I keep it very real. And um, it probably first year didn't really understand it but then she really started understanding like oh okay mm-hmm. fighting is number one and um doesn't mean that she was a far number two doesn't mean that i mistreated her or was was unfair to her um it just meant that if she she was gonna be part of my life she just had to understand that fighting was was it um and then once i had the kids 
it's not anymore. It's just not about me. It's about mm-hmm. them, and it's very selfless. So I don't know how guys can balance it, and I, I know some do, but for me, it's so difficult, especially to like hold that baby and like you're loving on the baby and like kissing this little like just the bundle of joy, and then it's like all right, time to go clock in and punch people in the face and murder yeah. them. Simulate murder real quick. Bye, baby. Yeah, baby right. down and go. It's like it's a flip or it's a switch that got, got to be flipped, and it's mm-hmm. hard. It's very hard. So I don't think it's common that people can just flip that switch like that. I, I can't even so. flip it for business half the time. Yeah, it's hard. I would never try to start having a kid right now when I don't have things figured out with business yep. because I I'd, I'd struggle to switch that mm-hmm. flip. I'm thankful that we had Combat Night already built mm-hmm. to some extent before he came. Like we had like three three years of it roughly, four yeah. years of it roughly. Um, because, you know, on the on the flip side of that, my, my baby girl came literally two years ago on October 6th, unexpected, you know, super early. We had four events on the schedule, literally four events. And Because um, you said she was about four or five months early? Early. Wow. Yeah, eyes, eyes fused shut, um, no nipples, um, lungs not open. So they had to, like, put her on a the, the highest. It's like, I think it was like 400 breaths per minute. And it's like like trying to like slowly open her lungs um and we had an event the very next weekend wow so like i'm in the hospital um my my the only event i've ever missed was that event i missed that very next weekend we didn't tell anybody because we just didn't want anyone to be again um these events are about the fighters these Mm -hmm. events are about the athletes and helping them get the next level and i didn't want everyone coming up to me and like oh everything uh you know so we just we kept it a secret um until we got done with our run of events and then we told everybody. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that first, the one I missed, it was like, I'm, I'm, I couldn't imagine if this was event number one mm-hmm. or event number seven or event yeah. number eight, you know? It just wouldn't have been, I don't, I don't, I, I can't, I'm sure it would have, we would have figured it out, but it, it might not have been possible back then because yeah. everyone wasn't so You wouldn't have had a team built up. Exactly. You wouldn't have had things in place to yeah. be able to run without you. For and the, the same with like, if you have, if you're trying to start a business and you're trying to start a family, it's like uh, I would pick one or the other to go mm-hmm. with because, and if you're gonna if you're gonna choose starting the family over starting the business, understand the business is gonna probably have to wait. If you really want to be mm-hmm. successful at it, let it wait for a year, and figure out the the, the kid situation first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm thankful I did it when I did it. You know, business was already going, but you know, even now I'm gonna be real, and this is like I don't I don't want to like an asshole when I say this, but if I didn't have kids. I really do feel like combat night would be on a whole nother, I'd just be on another yeah. level, you know? Um, but I mean, I, not in any world do I want a, a world where I don't have my kids. Like, yeah. There's not even a fucking chance in hell. And you sound very at peace with where it's at and where it's still going. Oh yeah, I mean, I am. And you know, some people say like, oh, my kids motivate me to do better. And man, they do in some senses, but it's- They also it, take a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. Like it yeah. might, they might motivate me, but I would, if 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 in a, if I'm a business owner, I'm just starting a business, and I you give me the option, hey, I'm gonna give you motivation, or I'm gonna give you eight hours extra time in your day. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go, hey, let me take that eight hours of mm. extra time. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they do. They motivate me and they they drive me to do better and be a better person. And I want them to have a great example to look up to. But at the same time, boy, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And and I say that I'm kind of a stay at home dad because our events are on the weekend. I was telling you earlier, like I have to get an office space so I can really be out of the house. Um, I've got a wonderful you know, I say this all the time. Um, if you really want to be a successful fighter, you got to find a good woman. Um, a, sex, a successful businessman, you got to find a good woman or no woman at all. It's either a good woman or no woman. Um, and thankfully, I've got a, an amazing woman at home. Um, Brandy, she's like, bro, I, I can't even begin to tell you. First of all, going through everything she went through with our baby girl, 
but um, keeping the house in order, finding a way to cook dinner in the process, finding a way to keep the house clean, finding a way to get the kids to, you know, jujitsu or baseball or, you know, baby girl has had therapy every single day for the past 18, you know, months. She's wow. sometimes twice a day. And Brandy finds a way to get to everything and do everything. Um, so I can't, you know, again, you got to have a good woman or no woman when it comes to being a fighter or being a businessman. Wow. Yeah, that's some real shit. I agree, though. I mean, I have been very, very fortunate with my girl, and I don't think I could be doing it without. Uh, I mean, it's really one or none. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Dude, the girl, uh, a girl previous to her, um, I was literally, I was, I was just starting to be fighting stuff, and she gave me this, like, stupid ultimatum. She was like, well, you know, when are you going to be done with this silly fighting stuff? And oh I was like, God. it's before my first fight. It's before anything. I wasn't mm. even sure if I really wanted to do that. You know, I was like a long time ago. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, I just, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to tell people I'm with a fighter. And I was like, don't got to worry about that, sweetheart. <laughs> You're not you anymore. You worry <laughs> yeah. about that. Um, but, you know, and then they see you be successful and then they want to slide in your DMs. Hey, I saw, I saw you recently fought mm-hmm. the Bellator. And it's like, yeah, I did. Silly fighting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I got a, a, a company now for 11 years. Silly fighting, huh? It's back so, to that negative force. That that stuff can drive you. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I took a note right here, like turning <laughs> something negative into the good. And it's, you know, I see a lot of people who, um, uh, my mom passed. So like right when we had our first event, um, I had to go back home and uh, I spent the last like 45 days of my mom's life just taking care of her. Um, I had, I was like, I'm, I told you earlier, I'm the black sheep in the family. So I'm the one that's kind of always got a crazy job that can work with me and fighting and can work with me. And we were planning our first event, January 21st. I went back home at the beginning of December. I took a fight January 1st as like a distraction, just something to do and like not be um, thinking about my mom so much. And then I go back home. I did my whole fight camp in the hospital in the hospice. So like I'm taking care of her, you know, uh, hanging out with her. And then I'd go for like, she'd take a nap. I'd go for like a, an hour run, just, just running. And then my, my good friend, Troy Worthen, who uh, was from my hometown, he would meet up with me at night, like late at night, like 10 o'clock, 10.30. My boy, Hoffa Santos, who runs a school in Lakeland too, would open up his gym for me. And Troy didn't train there, I didn't train there, but we'd go there and train. But like so many good things came out of that um, negative situation, my mom passing. Um, You know, we did our first combat night event, our current matchmaker and the only matchmaker from the very beginning, Richard Cox. um, He was also matchmaking for that show that I was fighting on as a pro. And um, I remember him calling me and being like, hey bud, like, I know what's happening to your mom. My mom had just got put in hospice. And my sister was like publicly telling everyone what's going on, what's going on. I'm not that type of person. I like to keep things a little more close to my heart. And um, I guess he saw it and he called me. He's like, hey, buddy, you don't have to fight. Like, you know, we're going to, I'll find a replacement. Don't sweat it. You know, no big deal. And I'm like, nah, bro. Like, I'm a man of my word. Like, if there's mm-hmm. one thing I am, um, even if that word is going to cost me or that word is not going to put me in a good situation, I, I knew better than to open my mouth. Like, I opened my mouth and I said, I'm going to take that fight. I'm taking the fight. Mm-hmm. And it's my first cut to 125, but, like, me and Richard became, like, best, like, good friends off of that. I would say he's one of my best friends in the whole world. Um, and then – You Troy, had to cut to 125 for that? For the first time. That's ever. a big difference. For, yeah. You said you're, like, 150-ish I, right now? Yeah, and back then I was that's watching, big, like, 155. That's a big difference. Wow. It was the worst, bro. It was, it was like, Jeez. I don't know if you've ever dealt with someone – like passing close to you like where it's like taking some time but like everyone's bringing you food and like you know sweets and like all this stuff to his Mm. food's comfort yeah food's comfort and i'm sitting there and they mean well i and i yeah and i can't eat any of it so Mm. like i'm sitting there watching all this food and then i'm also upset something with my mom it was miserable but as miserable as that like 45 days two months were 
I like look back at it and that's like the I, the growth that I saw in my life and, and the my ability to deal with like shitty situations like um, just grew so much. Like I, I, I made a choice back then, um, I was gonna stop drinking and I was never a big drinker, but um, I got I got real, I got into a fight with one of my friends. Um, he called his mom a bitch and my mom's in the hospital like fighting for her life. I'm back home and he calls his mom a bitch and you know, no offense to his mom, but his mom's a bitch. Like, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. Like, yeah. not everyone has the same relationship with their mom that I have with my mom. My mom was my best friend. My fighter nickname was Mama's Boy. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm a, I'm a mama's boy. But man, when he called his mom a bitch, like, it just triggered something in my brain. I had been drinking and I just like, I just like punched him right in the jaw. Mm-hmm. And like, everyone grabs us and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm like mad and stuff. And then later on, I'm like, I'm sorry, man. It's like my best friend. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but at that moment, I was like, new. I was like, I'm done drinking. So I made a choice to stop drinking for a year. Ended up, I don't drink at all now. I might drink, you know. Um, my boy just got married in Mexico. Um, I got drunk like two nights out of the, or maybe even three, out of the five we were there. And that's the most I've drank in probably five years. Wow. Like, legitimately. I might drink one night mm-hmm. and have a couple drinks, but not like really get loose and have a good time. But um, yeah, so that moment also spurred like the no drinking anymore which is just, I can't even begin to quantify how, how great that's been for my life. Um, but yeah, turning negative into good. It's like, you know, I could have easily went the other way with my mom, right? I could have said, I don't have time to do an event, you know, push off the first event. I could have said, I don't have time to train for a fight camp. I'm, 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 I'm over here. I have so many things I could have said, or I could have just dug my hole deeper and started drinking. And, you know, I thought I was at rock bottom. Um, if you, like, I, I say this all the time, like, yo, you are never truly at rock bottom. You can always fall deeper. You can always, you know, there, there's two things you can use. You can use the shovel to dig the hole deeper and just keep going, or you can use the shovel to dig out some stairs. And I'm gonna dig out some fucking stairs. So I, I, it doesn't even compute to me. Like when someone's going through some trauma or a tragedy, from my, where my brain goes is, how can I turn this tragedy into something beautiful? How can I, same thing with Josh, when Josh passed. I could have easily just said, fuck combat night. We're going to take a break for six months. No. Three months later, we're running our first pro show. Like, I want to be, I want to make um, some greatness. I want to make this tragedy. I want to make it shine. I want to, I want to polish up that turd. And I want to make something beautiful. Um, it's not easy. I know it's not. And um, Richard always tells me, because, like, me and Richard are, um, again, we're best friends. He's my matchmaker. And um, we have a lot of conversations, like, deep conversations about life and stuff. And, like, he'll have some shitty stuff happen. And I'll give him my outlook. And he's like, bud, I just don't, I don't understand how you do it. I, I, he's like, I don't say a lot of men are better, better than me, but when it comes to dealing with shit, bro, you're a fucking G. And I'm like, bro, it's not, it's not difficult, man. Like in my head, it's just not difficult. I know it has to be because I hear it from other people, but like, man, if you got the option of falling deeper or climbing higher, mm-hmm. I'm going to climb higher. Like there's just, and everyone yeah. has that option, regardless if it's your dad passing, your mom passing, you know, your kid being born 20, at 23 weeks old, like uh, you, everyone has the ability to either dig deeper or start climbing. So I'm always going to choose to start climbing. And I say that, I say that um, cautiously because I'm sure there is something that can hit me one day that's going to fucking bring me to my knees and it's gonna, I'm going to dig a little deeper for that moment. But I'm always looking to use that, that shovel to dig out. I think it's such an important perspective to have. I think that getting back to entrepreneurial qualities, that like – almost unshakable optimism is another kind of entrepreneurial quality that you kind of have to have to have be able to, because it's, I mean, it's literally all ups and downs. It's like deep, yep. deep downs. And 
really really skyrocketing high ups and you've got to be able to like stay level for all of them you got to be able to like you got to be able to stay humble at the top and you got to be able to climb up those stairs at the bottom i always tell people too it's like it's it's important to be stoic right it's important to to not let the good things phase you or the bad things um and it's very hard to be able to not let either bother you or not like either phase you because you know i'm gonna be real like there's i don't know what you would call it but like i call it like post-success slump like Mm -hmm. i have a really big event i crush it you know, um, everything went right. There's no, I mean, like to the to the viewer's eyes, to my team's eyes, you know, everything went right. And I'm on cloud nine, the night of the event. Mm-hmm. I literally wake up Sunday morning and I start picking apart what went wrong, what could have been better, what wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. And it's like, my my you know, my team was like, bro, just enjoy this shit for a little bit. And it's like, yo, this is me enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy reflecting on what I just did and figuring out how I can make it better. And, um, but there is a little piece of me that's like, it's like, it sucks a little bit because I just don't, I don't, I can't ride successes. I've never been this person, you know, that's going to ride a success for months or for even weeks or for even days. I'm usually. It does nothing for you. It doesn't. There's no, it's like. It takes you backwards almost. It's like. It it definitely doesn't. doesn't push the ball forward. Yeah, exactly. And when we're doing events, you know, every Saturday for a month, it's like, I don't have time to go to the fucking pool, drink a Mai Tai, and think about how cool Saturday night was. Because mm-hmm. I got to do it again the next Saturday. So yeah, um, that's a big thing too. I think I think that real successful business owners don't, um, they don't, yeah, the, the optimism, but also they don't um, like find joy in the success for weeks. You know, I'm just literally maybe a day or two and then I'm on to the next thing. And my, my, my fiance thinks I'm crazy. My wife thinks I'm crazy. She's like, man, just sit, just enjoy it. Like, just enjoy life some. And I'm like, this is me enjoying life. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. just don't understand. Like, this is me enjoying life, I promise. But like, she's always concerned with me because of just how much of a, my, my mind's always working. You know, my mm-hmm. mind's always working. Um, at night, sometimes she'll be going to bed at like 10, 1030. She's like, you need to go to bed. And I'm like, uh, I hear you. I was like, I got some stuff to do though. Yeah. I'm here working, you know, until yeah. two in the morning. My girlfriend gives me that all the time. She'll be like, you, you've been like up at like 3 a.m. the past couple of nights just like working. You know, you should probably like go to bed tonight. I'm just like, yeah, I will. And then something happens. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I was up till three again, <laughs> like yep. just like working on stuff. But it's I mean, you can you can't really control as a business owner, entrepreneur, like you can't really like fully turn it off ever. I mean, no. it, at least it's hard to, and you can't really control when like your best, most inspiring moments come either. Yep. I'll, I'll have like a moment where, yeah, I was like planning to go to bed at 10 or 11. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, but this new idea, I've yep. got to write this down. I've got to take notes. I've got to yep. like script this thing out. I've got to like plan this out. And it, it, you have to ride those ideas and those waves to get the best work. hundred percent. I think if, if you're an, if you call yourself an entrepreneur and you don't, you know, have these things that we just talked about, about the, the optimism, the drive, and um, all these little 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 things that add up together to something crazy. It's just, you're not going to be a good businessman. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've never read anyone's book that was great at anything. I never read, when you read Mike Tyson's book, you don't read that book and go, oh, this guy really wasn't that motivated, or this guy really wasn't that talented. Mm-hmm. I look at that book, and it makes me sick to my stomach that someone is more motivated and more passionate about anything than me. Yeah, I read Elon Musk's book, and I'm like, this motherfucker. I'm like, this mm-hmm. guy... How does he do all this? Yeah. How does he, why does he like, you know, I do this with my team now where like, I'll ask them like, okay, when do we think, how long till we can get this figured out? And they're like, oh, we should be able to have it figured out by, you know, uh, two months from now. I'm like, cool, we're gonna figure it out in 30 days. 
That's like, a total Elon Musk principle. Yeah. Have you heard his thing about the uh, take your 10-year goal and figure out like it's like an exercise he likes to mm-hmm. tell people to do. Take your 10-year goal and figure out how to get it done in 6 months. Yes. It's a crazy concept, but like and most people fail to do it. Like inherently it's kind of set up for you to fail, yeah. but you learn so much. You learn it. a lot and it, hey, I mean if if your 10-year goal that you cut down to six months and now you're halfway to your 10-year goal in six months, I, I call that a success. Like, sure, it's You just failure. turned a 10-year goal into a one-year goal. Yeah, sure, it's yeah. failure on paper, but, and you know, again, failures don't make or break me. I mean, if anything, they're going to make me more than they do break me um, because I, I just, you're going to learn so much about yourself and you're going to grow so much in those moments. But yeah, like, I read these guys' books and I'm like, God, I feel like such a slacker. I feel like I am just, I'm behind on the ball. So, um that's where I find a lot of motivation too, is reading these other guys' books and talking to other business owners and other entrepreneurs um, and just knowing that like, okay, I'm not alone here. Mm-hmm. But also knowing like, okay, there's people above me that are doing way more than me. So I'm not crazy. Like yeah. I, I, if anything, I need to be crazier. Exactly. And you find joy in that when you have those qualities, you find joy in just digging in and getting crazier and yeah. crazier. Yeah, and I love when I'm reading a book and like, okay, Elon Musk does these hundred things or Tyson did these hundred things or, you know, insert any crazy uh, Gary, Gary V, whoever. And it's like, okay, cool. I'm doing 50 of mm-hmm. these hundred. All right. I'm doing 70. I just have to right? do these other 50. Yeah. It's like, all right, cool. Like I Halfway find it, there. Yeah. I find joy in knowing that I'm doing something right. But then I also beat myself up because I'm like, oh yeah, these are, these are, this is goal too. I need to be doing this as well. I have a couple of closing questions for the podcast okay. that I forgot to remind you of, but you can take as much time as you need to think about them. Um, just some questions I ask everyone towards the end. So my first question, and I'll use kind of your entry point into starting combat night as like the time that we go back to for this. But if you could go back in time and talk to a younger Mitch as he was first starting combat night, you you're with your partner is Josh, right? Mm-hmm. You're with your partner, Josh, you guys are first starting combat night. What are a couple things having the wisdom and knowledge that you have now that you would tell them to do differently? Hmm. Um, one thing I'd probably say is, is not to be scared what other people are going to think. I think I held myself back a lot, um, in fear that like other promoters or people that were already doing events in towns would be offended that I was coming there. Um, I think that I, um, limited, you know, I think I limited, we, we as a team limited combat night because we were too worried about offending other people or pissing off other people. Um, which is not who I am today. Like I, I piss off plenty of people in the MMA world, but you know it's, it's not out of spite. It's not trying to hurt them. So one thing that I would tell a younger me is, um, don't be afraid. You know, uh, you're gonna offend people. No one makes it to the top of the mountain without getting some haters along the way. Not even just not even call them haters. Just people who don't like you. You know, you might give them really good reason not to like you, which is fine. You know, not everyone's gonna have the same you know um, beliefs as you, the same passion as you, the same uh, um, you know mindset. And you can't let those people deter you from what you want to be. So that would be a big one for me. I love that. The other question I have for you, because the show is called Profession Session, and the reason I call it that is because I love breaking down the tactics and qualities behind professional greatness. So my question to you is, what does it mean to you personally to be a professional in your life? You know, the biggest, um, being professional, the biggest thing for me is something I learned at a really early age. Um, My dad taught me this, and it was just be a man of your word. It doesn't matter what it is, be a man of your word. You you can't control what the person next to you says, you can't control what the person behind you says, but you can always control what comes out of your mouth. So if it comes out of your mouth, you have to deliver. Um, and you know, more often than not, 
that turns into great situations for me. At the time, I always feel like, why do I got to do this? But it's like, man of your word, man of your word. If anyone, when I die and they're giving my, um, I forget what that's called, the um, obituary. Oh, the eulogy. The eulogy. Yeah. I want them to say I'm a man of my word. I want them to say that if I told you I would be there for you at noon to help you train, I would be there. You know, um, so being a man of your word, I think, is one of the most important factors to have or attributes to have, traits to have as a professional. Um, if you say it, do it. Um, if you if you say it, mean it. Don't don't say it if you don't mean it. Um, you know, a good example. I'll give you a good example of, of, of when this has happened for me. I had a um, I used to do cage rentals as well. Like when we were first starting, we didn't we weren't making really good money on the events. We're making enough to survive, but I would rent out my cage. I rented out the cage, and the truck broke down oh, no. like 30 minutes from the venue. And we were setting up the day of an event, and there was no way to get this truck fixed in time. My box truck broke down. I was like, I'm calling him. I'm like, hey, man, I just want to give you a heads up. I'm going to be late. You know, da, da, da. He's like, what happened? I was like, my box truck broke down. And he's like, oh, shit. He's like, you need to figure that out? And I was like, I'll figure it out. And I get off the phone with him, and I literally get out of my truck, and I'm like, just pacing around my truck. And like, I look over, and I see a U-Haul. I'm like, fuck yeah. So I run over to U-Haul. I rent a U-Haul, I back it up to my box truck, I pull up the gate by myself, unload an entire cage into the box truck. Boom. Took me like two hours to just wow. like, like, you know, because the way the cage is put in, it's put in in a certain order. Mm-hmm. So the stuff that's in the front can't be put in first. Oh my God. So yeah, I'm literally like putting stuff to the side, and grabbing. So that you can rearrange it completely. Exactly. But, you know, um, man of my word, I told the guy I would be there. I gave him a, a commitment and uh, stands true to this day. If I tell a fighter something or if I tell someone on my team something if I tell my wife something um just being a man of your word will go a long ways not just in business but in life in general I think that uh, too many people um they don't treat their words they don't have value behind their words or they don't put value on words and I know people always say all the time like oh it's just words or it's just whatever or like who cares it's like nah man what you say in, in, in today's day and age with social media too what you type and what you put into this universe it needs to be something that you can perform it needs to be something you can do and if you're doing that don't get me wrong. I've I've said I've said things I wasn't sure I could deliver on, but that's like to push me to make sure I deliver on it. Um, but if you're saying stuff and you're you're putting it out there, you need, you need to follow through with it as a businessman. Most important, being I a man. Completely of your agree. And just as a man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fuck. I, the last thing I ever want anyone to say about me is like, oh, you can't really trust that, or like, mm-hmm. mm, I don't know if that's gonna happen. Yeah. You know, and I hear that especially in our sport, bro. It is rampant. Like people not being a man of their word or just saying something to say it because it's what you want to hear at the time or it's what they want to say at the time. And it's like, um, yeah, and, and not just our sport. I'm sure in every business I see it across the board where, you know, people will say these, make these statements and then you see in their action, it's like, oh, you're full of shit. I don't want to be that guy ever. I love that. Mitch, is there anything else that you would want to share with the audience? Um, no, nah, man. I mean, if there are fans of fighting, check out Combat Night MMA on Instagram. Um, we got a lot of really good upcoming athletes. We got guys, like I said, in the next probably year, we'll probably have close to two dozen guys in the UFC. Um, I think right now we Sorry. have probably two dozen between PFL, UFC, Bellator. Um, you know, just I, I, um, it's different. Like if you, you might follow other social media accounts that involve fighting, but we're really trying to help our athletes get to the next level and not just get there, but stay there and thrive. And um, because of that, we've built a community, like I said earlier, to really, you know, make them feel welcome, make them feel like they have someone home. Um, I will say, I will say one more thing. I didn't get a chance to say this during the podcast. Um, I think it's super important for businessmen, not just uh, fighters as well, because if you're a fighter, 
you should consider yourself a business. You know, you're literally going to be a 1099 employee even when you get to the UFC. So you're an entrepreneur whether you want to be or not. Um, it, I found a lot of value in, I don't know how I figured this out or when it came to me or I probably heard it on a podcast, but I think in business and fighting, you need to have three people in your life. You need to have um, the mentors, the people you look up to, and the people that are going to, um, that are better than you, right? If, if you're if talking about fighting, you need to be in the gym with somebody that can whoop your ass. And every time you get in front of them, they're gonna whoop your ass. Same thing uh, in business, my mentors whoop my ass in business. Like, I, they're telling me stuff, I'm like, oh, duh, why didn't I think of that? And they need to have someone who's on the same level as you in business. Someone that can share the hardships with you and can relate like real time because business is changing every day. So the mentors that you have, maybe can't relate to the problems you're dealing with right now because they never had to deal with Instagram or social media or trying to figure out how to market on those things. So having the mentor, having someone on the same level as you and in the gym, it's probably your favorite sparring partner, the person on the same level as you, the person that you go tit for tat back and forth. And then you need to have somebody that you're mentoring, somebody that you're helping bring up and somebody that you're helping give insight um, just like you're getting from your mentor. Um, and the same thing in the gym. You need to have someone that you beat the shit out of. If you're a fighter, you need to have someone that you whoop to build that confidence and mm -hmm. keep the confidence there from the guys that are whooping you. So um, those three people, somebody you look up to, someone you're on the same level as, and someone that's below you that you're helping get to your level. I love um, that. Yeah, I think a lot of guys miss that. A lot of guys don't understand. Like We talked about mentorship multiple times in this podcast. Um, as important as it is for us, to for us to be mentored and for us to seek mentors, it's also very important to recognize when someone else is seeking a mentor and to step in and be that person for them because I think we learn so much more whenever we are um, in a teaching or coaching um, aspect of life. So I we think do. those three people are key. I love that. How can people find you? You talked about how to find combat and I, and I know you don't love to be the center of attention and promoting yeah. yourself, but how can people find you? Know, you? I, I, recently I enjoy it. I, not that I enjoy being the center of attention, but I enjoy making people laugh. Um, so You've been making I, great content. I appreciate it, man. My personal page is like Mac, M-A-C, and then um, Hamali, H-A-M-A-L-E. So it's M-A, then my last name, C-H-A-M-A-L-E. Um, and I'm just, it's constant ridiculousness. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to be serious whatsoever. Um, I'm trying to hurt some snowflakes feelings. I'm trying to... <laughs> Like purposely, I'm like a I'm like a, a troll, but not in the worst aspect. I'm like the I'm like uh, mid level troll. I'm not like a horrible <laughs> troll. I love it. I'm gonna check yeah. it out some more when for sure, we get man. off the. Thank you so much for this conversation. This has been enlightening. It's been really cool hearing about what you built and just cool, the, the mindset that you take and everything. Thank you again. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me, man. I really enjoyed my time here, and I uh, I look forward to doing it again sometime. Likewise. Thanks again. All right, and that's a podcast.